Welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast, where marketers come to channel their inner superhero and unlock their superpowers. On today's episode, we get out of our heads. We explore the questions, how do you handle a conscious dilemma at work, and blow your mind by revealing the scale of empathic awareness. Once again, welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast. My name is Todd, sometimes known as Todd Social, and I'm here with Nicole Kelly, otherwise known on Facebook as Nicole Kelly Rocks. How are you doing today, Nicole? I'm doing amazing. How are you? I am consciously conscious today. Oh, good. One of those (laughs) conscious days. It's like a serious, serious conscious day right now. There's a lot of consciousness in the air and I'm excited to talk about, talk about today's topic, which is conscious dilemmas. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, so, you know, I have had a lot of dilemmas myself. Um, and, you know, in, in kind of thinking about this topic, um, I was wondering, you know, uh, out loud to myself, you know, what, how do you handle uh, conscious or an empathetic dilemmas because for me you know I, I looked at it I was like oh you know I don't know it's value the value dilemma I think is cool but I, you know I kind of deal with the ego dilemma a lot so can you kind of kind of delve down a little bit deeper into that and, and kind of explain what you really mean by that sure so yeah it's when you're when you're conscious and aware of how you what you do the energy that you put out affects both mm-hmm the world as well as yourself, then, you know, you can find yourself in these moments of dilemma where, for example, um, you might find you have a value dilemma. So one of the questions that came up as I was having a conversation with someone about the conscious marketing mastermind was, well, what do you do if you work for an agency and you're assigned to work for one of these brands that sells processed foods and your job is to go create an ad campaign for children and your value system says that this isn't in alignment with what you believe is correct and what you want to be working on, even just from an inspirational perspective. And I was like, you know what? I don't know. (laughs) I don't actually know because that's a tough one, right? Like, wow. Like you're in a situation where it's your job to actually serve this brand that is completely in contrast with your personal value system. And I was curious, Mm -hmm. Todd, what, like, what would you do in that situation and how would you make that decision? Well, it's tough because, you know, everything is more situational and, and, you know, know, as you get deeper into your work life, you know, I I think you, you constantly struggle with, you know, morality you know, on that side. So to me, it's, it's, it's a ongoing dilemma. It's actually a daily dilemma when you think about it, because, and I was really thinking about it this morning because like when I go out, you know, I'll go out for walks and things like that and then try to meditate and I'll go places. And when I go places like the most uh, serious dilemma place I think exists right now is Starbucks. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because everybody's in a rush. Everybody's trying to get their coffee to get themselves going for the day. And that may be the only piece of peace that they actually have. Yeah. Because wherever they're going, most people we know are probably unhappy at their, at their jobs. And I think it's rooted in the fact of consciousness because they know consciously 
they're not, their heart's not really committed to it, but they have to be, you know, for monetary purposes. So it really touches me in that sense. Yeah. And it's like one of those situations where, you know, you get into a position where what used to be tolerable simply no longer is, right? So, you know, I'm a prime example of that. You know, when I was in marketing, I could, as an agency, you know, um, you and I have the flexibility of choosing our clients, right? You know, we can choose which brands to work for. And that's a that's a great gift of freedom when, you know, especially being a conscious marketer, having the gift of selecting your clients is, is beautiful. And when that's not the case, looking at how do you reconcile that, you know, for me personally, and it's no, like, there's no right or wrong here. It truly is like whatever makes you feel really good. And for me, if I were in that situation, I would have to step aside because I wouldn't be able to serve that brand. Like there's no, um, my creative juice would not, it, it wouldn't, I, I, there's just, a, there's a blockage there for me because the value of um, marketing processed foods to kids on YouTube when, and watching TV shows where people are opening boxes of merchandise and pushing this kind of external lifestyle, it just doesn't jive with who I am as a human being. And so I would have to step aside and I would hope that in doing that, I would also be able to open the conversation for the kind of brands that we serve as an agency. And that's a, you know, when you're not the primary decision maker on that, that can, that can certainly put you into a conscious dilemma where you could lose your position or you could lose credibility. You know, it puts you in that moment of, you know, who are you really going to be when your values come into question? And are you going to truly stand up for your values? Or are you going to be, one of the many who just goes along with the flow and continues to do things that are out of alignment for the sake of money, which just allows all of this to continue to perpetuate. And so for me, I'd like to think that I would stand up and I would say something and that ultimately that I would do it in a way that was conscious and, and really raise the bar of consciousness for that entire agency and the type of clients that we selected and that ultimately they'd probably assign someone else to that account, you know, but my hope would be the next time that account came up for review, that we would have a, a true conversation about whether or not that was the client kind of clients we wanted to serve. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's really emotional, especially um, this time of year. Uh, <laughs> there's a serious dilemma getting ready to come. It's called black Friday. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I think it triggers a lot of things. Um, and, and there has been times where I, I think it's being emotional that has triggered a lot of things. I know hey, Todd, yes. your audio just dropped significantly. So I'm not sure what that was, but you might just want to check that. Okay, let me pause. So, yeah, um, I was really thinking it's, it, it's an ethical dilemma specifically for, for companies, um, you know, right now because there, it's so much put into – you know, retail and, and holiday shopping, and also just the transition of <laughs> when you really think about it, where the holiday season is really supposed to be more spiritually based, but yeah. you know, it's more like all about consumption and all yeah. about overconsumption. So really, it really makes me think about times uh, when you get triggered and how do you respond to, to that emotion, or it really also makes me think about you know, uh, how, how to really, how to really, you know, strive to get away from that. So what do you, what do you think about the times or what times for you 
were, were triggered and how did you respond to uh, from emotion? Yeah, so it's kind of like two different things, right? There's the ethical dilemma, which is where, you know, maybe you work for a company who's like dumping into the ocean, you know, and doing something truly unethical that's harming the, the planet versus, you know, something that may be less socially acceptable to something that is truly harmful, you know, like ethical dilemmas are things that are truly harmful. And in those situations, I would hope that all of us would not only remove ourselves from that situation, but we would take the appropriate action to ensure that that company was no longer able to do the thing that it was doing that was unethical because, you know, in our society, standing up for what is right is, is really what we do as humans is that we actually do hold standards and we hold ourselves and others to standards and why not, you know, hold ourselves to the standard that we believe in the change that we wish to see, but also reflect that through the companies we work for. So, I mean, that's what I would hope would be done. I can tell you in my own life, I have run into ethical dilemmas and I did, um, I was working for a particular company at one time that was using government funds and like using it to like pay for things that weren't approved, right? Like personal expenses, essentially, you know, from these government contracts. And I did report that situation and there was an investigation and I have no idea what happened on the back end of that. And also had another situation that involved a, um, uh, prescription being written by a, a nurse practitioner who had never seen the patient. And I also reported that situation. So I know for my situation, even in times where it might have been not have been a popular thing to do, I did make those reports. And I would hope that others would as well, that we hold ourselves to a pretty high ethical standard uh, for ourselves and, you know, just for everyone, you know, like it's part of just being who you wish to be is to really look at your ethics and, and live up to that standard yourself. Well, one of the, one of the interesting things about that is it makes me think about people's egos and the ego dilemma. And I've had way more experience with that. I can tell you right now that there, there are some serious, serious, serious egomaniacs out there. I mean, it's, but I think it has to do with you know, a sense of control. Um, yeah. And so essentially, what do you, what do you think about the ego dilemma? The, uh, what do you think about the ego dilemma and a client like that? Because I know that's a, a, a whole dynamic within itself. Yeah. Like this is the, um, and this is the client who makes changes just so that they had made some changes and had input, right? Like mm -hmm. changing something like a, a minor shade of a color that ultimately doesn't add value to the end project. You know, this is where I used to, to typically associate ego, but I think you see it even wider now when you start to really become aware to what ego is. And yeah. ultimately, our ego is very much a structure. It's an emotional structure within us that simply wants its needs to be met. And, you know, looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the need for belongingness and love and support is one of our basic needs. And so many times when I see something that is driven from the ego, it is because there is some need that has been unmet. It could be any of the basic needs from food, shelter, water, into those needs of belonging. And in business, we typically see the need of belonging, um, most likely. Hmm. Yeah, that's... That's a powerful statement. I mean, it yeah. speaks really, really to the essence of 
how people find their identity, how they think, yeah. what are their emotions, what, what is their moral compass oftentimes in, in areas. So, of course. That, that, you know, that really, that leads me to um, think about a couple of things um, that I know that you, you talk very, very, very good about. Uh, one of those things is, is emotion and, you know, how that gets triggered and, and how do you respond to that. And I thought about that, and I think the biggest thing for me um, when when I was looking into that was the power of boundary setting. But I was interested about the power of breath because is that something in regards to uh, you know meditation or how you hold back? And you know, maybe you can kind of give me your thoughts on that because I, I think it's really key for for people to really consider that. Absolutely, and. It's one of these things where, you know, you just stop and you say, okay, well, what happens in this moment where I'm triggered either because I'm faced with a value dilemma or an ethical dilemma or an ego dilemma where I feel maybe I'm not getting acceptance or I don't feel like I belong in a group. Like what, what do I do and how do I handle it? And the first thing that I recommend is like you focus on the power of breath. And this is something that is scientifically proven that when you essentially are, um, you feel like that need isn't met, our body starts to hold tension. It actually holds our breath. And you can actually test this for yourself. Notice when you are triggered, look and ask yourself, am I breathing right now? And many times for myself, I found that I wasn't. I was like holding my breath, like waiting for it to end, you know, yeah, and then yeah. depleting my brain of oxygen means that I also can't think rationally. It doesn't matter how smart you are. A brain without oh. oxygen is not very intelligent. And so I'm making decisions from this place of fear where I'm holding my breath rather than saying, okay, I feel triggered. So that means I should breathe more actually. And if, if the only thing that I do is just focus on my breath, then at least I can hear what's happening. At least I can see what's happening and I can do it by maintaining my center and checking in on my energy and the more that I do that, the more likely I am to respond from a place of being centered, right? And the more centered I am, the more centered the conversation becomes. Because so many times they say, you know, you, a fight involves two people. You can only fight if both are fighting. And so if you use the power of breath and you just simply sit back and look at, why am I upset about this? What what about this hurts inside of me? What does this bring up for me in terms of how I view myself or how I want to be viewed by others? Or, you know, what, what fear response do I have? And how can I look at this as an opportunity to learn about myself and then reflect that back, you know, looking at if I am the change I wish to see, how do I want to respond to this moment instead of how I automatically respond to this moment? And so much of our response tends to be from these pre-programmed places that we learned very early on or you know from either our parents or ourselves or our community or tv or whatever our media outlets were our inputs were we learn these responses that we feel are acceptable and so much of the response that is viewed as acceptable in society is to withhold emotion rather than to feel it and i feel that breath is the key to truly feeling the emotion but doing it from a place where you can actually handle it <laughs> oh wow that you know that that puts a different light on something that is probably at the mindset of a lot of people and they're probably asking themselves those those questions but there's no one to really answer it or essentially you know they they find different types of answers that 
don't really put them in the right direction or put them in the right place. Yeah. So to me, um, one of the things I, I think is, is key is the power of apology and the, and the power of forgiveness. Because yeah. I actually think that they, they go hand in hand in, in a sense. Because obviously at, at the principle, if you can't really actually uh, forgive, you know, then you're, you don't have the compass to, to be apologetic. You, right. you know, and it's, and it's really, I always thought, and I, I would love your feedback on it. I will always thought that someone who can't forgive or someone who can't apologize is actually doing it from a defensive type of mechanism more than offensive. And the reason why I say that is because it's, it's like forgiveness is like saying, saying um, I'm a failure or I failed at something. And apologizing is is the acknowledgement of it. So I really wondered about this and really want your thoughts on this because it it really made me like when I saw this, I was like, yeah, you know, this is something that I think, especially as males uh, or or in the workplace, especially from a managerial standpoint, I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, they struggle with a lot because you you will not hear a a manager, an executive, C-level, whatever. They're not going to apologize about anything. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to make decisions and that's going to be it. And if you ever hear them say they, you know, they're, they're forgiving some of something that's news to me. So (laughs) I really wanted your feedback on that because I want to get your thoughts on that because it it really interested me. Cool. Yeah. So um, you're absolutely right. You know, the power of forgiveness and apology go hand in hand. And as we look at forgiveness and apology, many times we're looking at forgiving the person on the other side of this, you know, if our boss like makes some ego-based decision that is totally for themselves and has nothing to do with rights, what's right for that customer or for the company, you know, can you forget you, you probably think it's about forgiving them. And there certainly is a piece of that where it is about forgiving the other person, but yeah. more often it's a, a point of being able to forgive yourself. And, you know, in a moment where you're triggered and maybe you don't respond in the way that you want, Uh, Or you just look at it in review and you're like, wow, I could have totally taken a higher road today. Like I did a mirror conversation about a conversation I had yesterday. I was like, yeah, I could have totally taken the higher road on that one. But then in reflection, also recognizing that I had taken a really high road, actually, (laughs) you know, my response was, you know, quite modest compared to what it would have been um, prior to that. So really being able to forgive yourself for how you respond and apologize to yourself as much as you're looking to apologize to the other person. And you're right in business because we are trained to be the expert and to look like we know what we're doing and to always make the right decision. So many times we get into this I'm right, you're wrong game with how decisions are made. And so apologies are few and forgiveness is even further apart. So looking at, you know, how we and companies can open up the conversation for forgiveness and apology, especially in teams that maybe struggle to work together. And also in times where maybe the company hasn't stood up to the standard that we wanted to, you know, maybe we started out with really good intentions and we got off track a little bit, but rather than trying to sweep that under the rug, let's put it out in front of us and say, wow, like, 
we could have acted more honorably in this situation, or we could actually change our marketing to be more inspirational, or we could actually not look at this, uh, this particular segment in this way that's disempowering, and we can look at a way to actually empower them. And as we do that as companies and as individuals, then that's what's really going to push this bar of consciousness through the industry that's going to support an awakening of humanity into its true self. Because let's be honest, we spend most of our time at work. And if we can't forgive ourselves and for how we are at work, how could we possibly forgive ourselves for who we are at home? Which many times, if there is a mask being worn, that who we are at home is far worse than who we are at work. You know, that's where we tend to like really be true to ourselves. And if, if there's a lot of anger and fear built up in our dynamic, then that tends to be reflected back to our families. So yeah, forgive yourself. You're doing the best you can. And apologize when you maybe don't respond in the way that you wanted or in reflection, you feel like you could have done better than apologize and say, yeah, I could have done better and honor that because, you know, in opening that dialogue, you, you win just by being the vulnerable one to open the dialogue. And if you're in any way punished for that, then that says a heck of a lot about the person on the other end of receiving that apology and says absolutely nothing about your character and who you are. Hmm. <laughs> well, you know, that's so interesting because um, it leads me to kind of the next thing that you, you talk about. Um, and it made me really think about this <laughs> because boundaries, the power of boundary setting, I think is, is, is the uncurrent uh, of all three. Because, you know, I think, you know, as you were saying, you know, your, your home life can be affected and it could be far worse. I think essentially, um, if you don't have boundaries, um, I think starting with yourself, um, then essentially everything that you don't have boundaries inside goes outside, you know, and I think, you know, thinking about, you know, my, my early career, um, this made sense because, you know, I didn't have... I didn't have boundaries. I mean, especially when I first initially started in retail, because the thing they tell you is that the only way that you're going to advance is if you're willing to relocate, if you're willing to work long hours, if you're willing to work the hours other people are not willing to do. And so that's, that to me was always a statement of the boundary. Like this was the line. If you want to be on this side of the line, then this is what you do, right? right. But if you don't, <laughs> then this is basically where you're going to be. And then yeah. as I got older, it seemed like that was a normal behavior in any working environment. Yeah, it's like that. Um, like if you're willing to enslave yourselves to us, then we'll give you all the rewards. But only those who give up everything else other than their career are yeah. the ones who benefit from it. And I mean, as a woman in the workplace, this was something that was made really clear to me was that, you know, women were almost this liability because we have children and we take yeah. time off, you know, yeah. and the question was, would you actually come back to work? And it was really clear to me in several of my positions that whether or not I still wanted to have more children was absolutely a deciding factor. And knowing that I was a workaholic worked in my advantage, actually, because the question was whether or not I was going to really want to be at home with my children or whether I wanted to actually be at work. And the, question, the answer for me was obviously many times both, but I felt like I had to choose. You know, we're put in conflict between choosing between work and play. And, you know, the, the true 
synergy comes when work is play and there is no distinction, but that doesn't necessarily always work in this corporate model where we have to go into the office and we need to collaborate with others. And so I, you know, there's a lot of room for innovation around this. And when it comes to boundaries, you know, I, the situation that I found myself in was very much a situation where I needed to set a boundary. Actually, it was a situation where I had allowed myself to just kind of be a punching bag for someone else. And the things that were being said were really hurtful and unnecessary. And quite frankly, rather than just taking it, which is something that I've tended to do in my life, which is I can take and transmute anything. So give it all to me. You know, I'll take Mm -hmm. your fear. I'll take your hate. I'll take your drama. I'll take all of it and I'll transmute it back into love and show it to you. In this case, it was kind of like no more, you know, no more of this because I am kind, I am compassionate and I have, I actually have standards. And for me to continue in this situation, it's going to have to look like you honoring me as the amazing human being that I am, as I honor you as the amazing human being that you are. And if that can't be done, then that's just simply not going to fit into my life or the situation that I'm in. And honoring yourself by setting that boundary, it's really like if you know what your values are and then you set boundaries around those values to honor what is important to you, then in my experience, everything tends to flow pretty effortlessly around that. And the only thing that might come into conflict is that as you open consciousness, one of the things that also opens is empathic awareness. And as empathic awareness opens, then you start to realize, wow, I feel things differently than I used to. I see things differently than I used to. My lenses are changing. My perspectives are changing. And now I'm either getting triggered more often because I'm being put up against these things that are growth opportunities for me, or I'm being triggered even less. And ultimately, it's about being triggered more so that in the end, you're triggered less. So look at every trigger as an opportunity for you to just get more in line and in connection with what's truly important to you at the soul level. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, I had a friend a long time ago that I worked alongside for several years, and we, we used to talk about boundaries. And mm-hmm. he, he compared boundaries to bondage. in the sense sense that you you basically your whole your whole life changed like he he had started a family and I remember this distinctly because we were basically uh, on the same level and he had started a family but he felt like he was punished for starting a family he felt like he was punished because you know he wanted to you know be at home with his wife and he wanted to you know, do family things like mm-hmm. actually do family vacations and, and getaways and stuff like that. He could never really do that. And it just got to a point where he had to change what he was doing because he felt like it was just straight bondage. And 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 no one was was empathetic. And that to me is one of the keys is is there was no awareness and there was mm-hmm. no empathy. And so essentially, he he probably would have been a rock star what he was doing because he was really yeah. really good, but he just he he just had he had to draw his boundaries. And I remember right. him saying, "It's like it's like bondage, dude." And I was just like, you know, you're you're pretty much right because yeah. obviously, you know, when we look at our the former the the baby boomer genera- generation, I think, and I've had this conversation with like my older brother. It's like 
that's what you did to be successful. Right. Whatever, Hard work. Yeah. Whatever worked, that's what they told you to do. And that's what you did. Yeah. And, and so I think consciously, you know, um, you, you do talk about, you know, uh, the scale of empathetic awareness. And I really feel like that's a, a, a key thing. But in thinking about that, I think there's just low awareness across the board, especially, mm-hmm. you know, especially on the corporate side, just completely low awareness or they, they just omit <laughs> awareness. Mm-hmm. And I think omitting yes. awareness is more of a commonality than anything else, because obviously when you're working with somebody, you know, the ins and outs, when you're side by side, when you spend time with somebody, you get the gist of who they are. Yeah. It's not just like you don't know like who they are or anything, you, you know that. So even the person, yeah. the person that's in that manager role or in that executive role, I think they do practice low awareness or just emit awareness. But I wanted to kind of get you to kind of talk about that and maybe the difference between low awareness to moderate awareness to high awareness. Yeah. I mean, as you look at all of this, I mean, I actually had a situation where like legitimately in my career, I told my manager that I had just bought a new car and I had gotten a third row seat in it. And it was about the time that I was, I was before I was pregnant with Giovanna. And I told him that, yeah, we got this third row because, you know, I, we were trying to get pregnant and it legitimately was like, oh my God, you please don't tell me that. And then within a month had my entire team stripped out from underneath me, like stripped responsibility, promoted a guy who didn't, who was not even close to being as qualified for that position as I was. So like, I actually had a situation where I actually watched it be used against me. And then knowing that like, there really isn't much you can do. I mean, honestly, like you file a complaint, but the burden of proof is so high that it's almost impossible to prove because this is all handled. This is, you know, politics and bureaucracy. And so much of it is actually intuition because you can feel energy of people. And I had felt the energy switch in that moment and then watched him basically try to dismantle me. And, you know, as you, as you experience that, you start to like feel all of that emotion inside of yourself, but you may not know where it's coming from. And so in looking at the scale of empathic awareness, ultimately empathic ability just means that you can feel the emotions of those around you. And many of us are empaths and don't even know it. We just call ourselves maybe sensitive or emotionally Mm -hmm. sensitive. Um, Mm -hmm. I know uh, cancers tend to actually be very empathically aware, just, you know, (laughs) at birth, basically. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I love my cancers. (laughs) Um, I'm a Pisces, so I'm also, you know, I'm kind of born into that empathic awareness. And I don't know a lot about astrology, but apparently it just like seems to line up actually as I start to notice these things and so when you feel the emotions of others it's important to stop and actually ask whether or not that is your emotion or not right so when you start to really feel these things low awareness is that you ultimately don't feel anything and I remember there was this one point where I confided in someone and I just said like I don't feel emotions like other people do you know I don't feel sadness I don't feel fear I don't feel happiness. I am, I am, I felt like my whole emotional body had been shut off. And that was very much a result of trauma in my childhood that I had literally just shut off my emotional body entirely. That doesn't mean that you don't have emotions. It simply means that I had put such a big shield around me that I had learned not to respond to anything. And I would consider that very low awareness. I really had no connection to my emotional body. Moderate awareness would mean that you 
had some connection to your emotional body. There were emotions that you certainly felt, but there were likely some emotions that were repressed. So for example, you may allow yourself to feel things like joy and bliss and all of those, but you you chastise yourself for feeling despair or sadness or fear or anything that might be considered on the lower end of the spectrum of emotional, if, you know, like um, heavy and heavy emotions are on, on the left side and light emotions are on the, the right side, then anything that's down here, you tend to, to ultimately judge yourself for. That's ultimately what I see yeah. uh, leads to all of those even more despair and even more judgment is, you know, really looking at these as negative versus that the whole spectrum is just emotion. And yeah, fear feels a certain way. Have you ever like stopped to just feel fear <clears throat> and know that it's fear, like really identify, oh, that pit in my stomach is fear. That's what I'm feeling. And the story I've wrapped around it is that I need to feel this fear because I might lose my job. And what that actually triggers for me is that I worry that I might, you know, lose my income, which would mean that I couldn't pay my mortgage and I might lose my house, which means that I wouldn't be able to provide a home for my children. And ultimately that's all falling back to security. And what I'm actually wrapping myself up in right now, this fear is related to my need of security. And when you can really look at that in the moment and you get really quick at being able to identify that, it becomes a superpower. And that would be what I would consider high awareness. And this is really interesting because this can work for you and it can work against you in some cases because high awareness means that you literally can feel other people's emotions at will. Yeah. And in really high awareness situations, you know whose emotions they are. So in that case, then what happens? So what happens when you come into contact with someone who is like really on that, like that, the darker, heavier end of the spectrum, I will call it heavy and light versus good and bad because heavy just feels heavy and light just feels light. Yep. And on the heavy end of the spectrum, what happens when you're like living most of your life in this light end of the spectrum, what happens when you bump up against somebody that is really spends most of their time in the, in, in the heavy part of the spectrum well, I know Yudi vomits actually, <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally, like he'll, he'll actually vomit as a response to that. For me, I notice that I tend to get anxious and like start to wonder, like, and judge myself. Like, do I fit in here? Do people like me? You know, I start to like, really like feel my need for acceptance come up. Sure. And so, you know, when you're highly aware, you might have physical responses, but it also means that you can actually look at a room and you can feel what's going on in that room pretty accurately. You can intuit what's happening with people pretty accurately when you actually start to check it. And from a marketing perspective, that empathic awareness allows you to understand your audience at an even more deeper level than can be intuited by some, you know, demographic targeting number. You can actually say, wow, like, this, this community feels joy deeply or yeah. they don't. And, the, and as a result of that, this is how we could serve them more honestly and with integrity. <laughs> well, you know, that, that really actually speaks to energy as well, because uh, I know for me, you know, I get s certain anxieties in certain rooms. I don't know why it is, but I've always felt like, you know, there's certain ways that people have intentions, like their body language will throw me off completely. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like in that moment, you know, I have to really understand my energy or scan my energy per se. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I, you, you have this thing that really touched me where, where you talk about knowing what is yours and knowing what is someone else's. And just the thought of that, you know, for me was like, you know, how do you, how do you get to that point where you know what is yours and what is someone else's? And especially when you're in a workplace where, where you're required to, you know, collaborate and coexist and everything else. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't say anything about whether collaborating and coexisting actually makes sense, you know, because the culture may not even be there. It just, it's just innately like this is what you're forced to do and kind of goes back to, you know, boundary setting. And I was like, okay, so I really got to, really got to get your, your, your insight on this because I I need to understand (laughs) knowing what is mine and and what is someone else's, because I think it really applies to not only the the industry we're in and the work that we do, but I think it applies to everyday life because then how do you do that? How do you do that in a relationship? You know, right. how, do, how do you do that in, in your family, which to me is, is very key because I think understanding that would help me go a lot farther in, in my energy and my family. So what, what's kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, thank you. I, um, it's interesting for you, too, because like this is actually super important to you for you as our friend Allison Faye Nelson told you, you know, you're kind of an opal, right? So like yeah. whatever that energy around you is, is that is the depth of energy you become. So you absolutely absorb the energy around you. I'm very similar in that whatever that energy is around me, I'm transmuting it, right? So like if I'm transmuting it, whatever is coming at me and whatever level of transmutation is required is the level of energy that it takes to actually transmute it. And so watching that is really important to me because I tend to be one who will overserve and transmute to the point of actually depleting myself. And so one of the things that I do is one, when I start to feel an emotional response, I immediately start to check and I just ask, is this mine? That's it. You know, I just kind of go into that place of consciousness and I'm like, is this mine? And then I'll get an answer, yes or no. And many times it's no. And my attention will turn to whoever's it is. Like, it's just an instinctual thing that I've asked the question enough times and then I'll say, well, whose is it? And it'll just turn to whoever's energy that is. And then, you know, and then it's a matter of, do I want to be a part of that? Right. So like if the emotion that I'm feeling is joy and bliss, for example, then I might want to continue feeling that, right? Like for example, you know, someone at the announcement of a marriage or a baby or these times when at life we tend to celebrate when someone's in that space, many times when you're tuned into energy, you know that that's happening even if they've never made the announcement because you feel the energy of it. You can feel that birth energy, that like renewal energy in in someone. And so you may choose to actually tap in and use that to actually accelerate your own creativity. And other times when someone may be on the heavier end of the spectrum, you may choose to just release it. And many times that's, that's where I am now where, you know, if, if it's really heavy, I simply part of my journey has been letting it go, you know, letting go of the heavy and not feeling the need to hold on to these things that feel heavy and allowing them to anchor me. And so I'll just ask it to just leave. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, you know, I, I, I'll keep what's mine and let, and I let everything else go. And then you actually feel this lightening of your energy. It's just a simple request that actually you immediately feel better. And then uh, and I actually visualize it leaving. And so I'll just close my eyes and I'll say, I'll keep what's mine and 
I would like everything else to go. And then I just visualize this kind of fog just lifting off of my body. And it's a very simple exercise, but it, it brings you back to your center, knowing what's yours and feeling what's truly yours. Nine times out of 10, I find that mine is actually super high and, and super light and, and super accepting and loving and open. And the stuff that feels heavy to me, the reason it feels heavy is actually just because it was never mine to begin with. <laughs> wow, that's, that is so powerful and it's, it's so true. Um, and it, you know, it does, it does speak volumes uh, uh, about where you can end up at, especially when you're absorbing different levels of energy or different types of energy and everything else. So I, I really appreciate that because that definitely is key for me and definitely important to me. Um, okay. And overall, this is, this is a seriously great conversation that we're having right now. <laughs> but unfortunately, we have to pause, take a commercial break for our, our wonderful sponsors. So we will be right back. We've been asking ourselves some big questions at the Conscious Marketing Institute. What if the world's greatest marketers came together with one mission? To inspire humanity to embrace its full potential. What if we gave them $50,000 to execute the most inspirational advertising campaign the planet has ever seen? What if we are the superheroes the world needs? The Conscious Marketing Mastermind is a prototype to find out. As Conscious co-creators, we will create a campaign to inspire humanity to step into our full potential and execute it with a team of the best marketers on the planet. If you're the kind of superhero who wants to be a part of something big and you have $25,000 to invest in inspiring humanity, go to ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com and click on Mastermind to learn more. The final group for 2018 will be selected on December 31st, so get your application in soon. What if your voice was the key to assist you in your conscious awakening? It is. The Conscious Marketing Podcast is proud to be partnered with Clearly Conscious to bring you advanced sound healing technology. Here's how it works. Go to clearlyconscious.ca forward slash conscious marketing podcast to submit your voice sample for analysis. The Clearly Conscious team analyzes your voice and sends you your own personal soul tone designed to harmonize and balance your energy. Just play this tone anytime or anywhere to immediately feel balanced. And that's not all. Because sound healing works at the quantum level, it helps to open your heart to unlock your true center of consciousness. If you're into effortless and you're into conscious expansion, there's no time like the present to check out clearlyconscious.ca forward slash conscious marketing podcast. As a special bonus, you'll also receive a personalized reading from a clearly conscious coach for just $50 Canadian. That's a 33% discount for conscious marketers. You are the superhero the world is looking for. Get harmonized and let's go change the world.
Welcome back, gang, to the Conscious Marketing Podcast. This is Todd Social and Nicole Kelly, better known as Nicole Kelly Rocks. And we've been talking today about conscious dilemmas. Nicole has dropped some heavy conscious bombs on everything from empathetic dilemmas to how do you respond with, with your emotion, things like the power of breath, boundary setting, the scale of empathetic awareness. And last but not least, uh, what she just recently talked about was knowing what is yours and what is someone else's. So in, in kind of talking and going back over that, um, I just wanted to kind of share really quick um, some of my thoughts on this and then kind of maybe get some a few tips from you because I know you have some great tips for, for the people that are listening. And we want to make sure that we, we honor those people with some great information. But in, in going over quickly kind of what you talked about, I think that a lot of times people actually can confuse um, their, their boundaries um, and, their, and their breath. Because basically, I thought about this when you were talking. I was just like, you know what? Whenever I'm like having anxiety about something, I feel like I have a shortness of breath. And then all the things that you're talking about, like with the power of forgiveness and apology, they just go out the window. And then my boundaries are completely, you know, broken. They're completely shattered. And basically for me, what it does is it makes me, you know, go from having uh, low awareness to high awareness. And then, but then when you were talking about knowing what is yours and knowing what is someone else's, it's that energy scan that definitely made me think like, wow, I never visualized it leaving. Mm -hmm. I just never truly did. And so essentially, I, I think I, I, I would conduct an energy scan, but I never visualized it leaving. Right. And that is so powerful because I was just like, how, how do I make this? How do I make this go away? How, yeah. how do I how do I separate this? And I would always, especially if I had like a negative interaction with a coworker, or specifically if I had a a negative response from uh, an achievement with uh, with a boss, you know, mm -hmm. like I would meet productivity goals, and you know, certain bosses I've had this twice happen to me. They would go out of their way to acknowledge that I've made my productivity goals, but still tell me things I had to work on. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking to myself, well, essentially, if my job here is to be productive, but I'm meeting those goals, then am I not achieving that? And it felt like it, they would always look to find something to really lower my energy because they knew that that would give me a certain sense of anxiety. Right. So. Um, I really appreciate you talking about that because I never once have ever thought about just, you know, visualize it leaving. Like that's yeah. really key to me. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's key to a lot of marketers, especially guys who are behind the scenes working on dashboards all day because, you know, you, you don't get to kind of view that concept. You kind of really just remove that from your mindset in a sense. Yeah. So, we're kind of taught to, you know, just tolerate, right? We're really yeah. 
taught that we should be able to tolerate whatever happens to us and that we should be able to maintain composure and we should act completely perfectly however society has decided is the appropriate response for that moment and yet when we look around at how society actually responds to what's around us we get angry we get defensive we put our shields up and we choose to act out of fear more often than we choose to act out of love and where we are in this evolution is that the conscious those who are conscious and waking up and saying, looking around and actually saying, wait a second, what if, what if these responses actually have less to do with me and more to do with those around me? And in business, this is especially true. I had a situation where I had a boss literally question my ability to manage because of an employee who had gotten drunk at an event and had a good night out just like everybody in the company does you know this whole concept of drinking at work is a is a highly sensitive one and in this case this person had gone out and had a really fun time and gotten a little tipsy but was in a, a circle of friends and it was a prior agreement that this person had a free pass that night and we were all there to support um, the individual and somebody else in the company had actually said something and said it was inappropriate, but literally had come from a party where he was covered in blue paint and had been with strippers all evening. And, and it was just this moment where me and my boss had actually ended up, I ended up getting fired from that job. Not late, not much later, they had found They found a reason to actually fire me. And it all start stemmed from this conversation where I just said, no, actually like, it wasn't inappropriate. It was all done within appropriate contextual boundaries. And the, the person who is saying this was in such a compromising position that it could only be to hide that person's compromised position and jealousy over this other person that this could be happening. And I refuse to have a conversation with this employee. You know, I, I refuse. And, and ultimately that brought into like power and control. So this manager then said, like later, she was like, you know, well, it's more difficult to work together because the trust is gone. You know, the mm -hmm. trust of knowing that we're on the same team is gone. And I said, yeah, it kind of is because I watched you actually like do something that from a point of integrity hits my value system that I'm not okay with. And so I get it. And at the same time, I've done nothing wrong. Right. So like, <laughs> I, you know, we've just come into, a true value-based dilemma and ultimately, you know, the demise of, of then being, I was like in a social position and then, you know, like asked to shut down my social accounts. It, it, it wasn't pretty like how ultimately this company chose to fire me. And, and so it does like bring in that the, the real thing for you is what's yours and what's the other person. And I was always like, I've always just been pretty good about knowing what's mine and knowing that the anger and the frustration on the other end, like had nothing to do with me. And I felt really confident that I had already made the right choice. And, and, but I was also willing to look at it and say like, did something inappropriate happen? And ultimately what I came back with is this whole glorification of drinking at the workplace. It leads to a lot of like, behavior that it just is what not what people want it's not the same face that they wear at the office and so that you know being celebrated and having happy hours and you go to conferences and it's these parties with open bar all night you know essentially this environment has been created and then we're judged on whether or not 
we can control ourselves with. And it. it's like giving kid, putting kids in a room with like candy everywhere and then saying like, only eat one piece, you know? <laughs> so for me, it actually brought up a much bigger conversation around ethics in the company of like, what is our policy on drinking actually? And, and if it, it just has to be held up equally for all was my thing. It's like, whatever that policy is, I'm cool with it, but let's set that standard and then hold everyone accountable to the same standard versus it's okay for this person because he's in the inner circle and not okay for this person because she hasn't reached the level of management that gives her a free pass, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, you know, <clears throat> I know that this is the, the time of the show where you have uh, three tips that you normally give out to people. And I think this, this is the appropriate time to do so because it, it's just so key. This information is so key for those people that are listening because obviously there's so many scenarios that we could probably talk about. There's so many things that we can reflect on, but I, I really believe that, you know, what we're trying to do here and what you're doing in terms of really speaking out about it will help a lot of people. So uh, what three tips will, could you give someone that was listening now to the kind of take away from uh, understanding about this, this topic? Perfect. So yeah, three tips for handling conscious <coughs> and empathic dilemmas. The first, <coughs> the first is to know your truth, right? So in order to even know what you're being triggered on, you really need to look within and know your own truth and to know your truth. The first step is to know your values. So looking at what are your deal breakers and what are your deal makers. So in looking at the company you work for, the clients you take on, what are those things that are deal makers? Like I'm a hell yes to working with this client. I'm a hell yes to working with this company because of this. And then what are your deal breakers? Many times those are gonna come into, into a case when we're looking at ethics or value-based things where you wanna work for a conscious company. As a conscious marketer, we wanna work for conscious companies. And so deal makers tend to look like companies who are very conscious and deal breakers tend to look like companies who are acting unethically or unconsciously. And then the second is to know your why. Simon Sinek has a video on YouTube and it was a TED talk. I just happened to watch it very recently again. And hmm. you can watch the five minute version of the 20 minute version, but what is your why? You know, so many of us know our how and our what. I'm a marketer and I am, you know, going to work for this company and I'm going to deliver revenue for them. But take the time to find your why. Why are you working for that company? What is your purpose? And what is actually inspiring you? Because if you haven't taken the time to know your why, you're most likely working for a company based on their how and their what and haven't looked at their why and whether it aligns with yours or not. Or yours or not. The second is to discover your unique opportunity. So look at how your prior experience overlays with what you know now. So if you've had a conscious awakening and you've come into connection with your true self and you see your mission, you see your purpose, how does your prior experience overlay that? I know for myself, I ran into this thing where my conscious awakening actually led to a very negative perception of my prior experience. I felt like I was part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And it, it turned me away from the marketing industry rather than towards it. But when I really looked at my experience and what I know now, I also saw that as equally as I felt like I was part of the problem, I could equally be part of the solution of raising the bar for marketers as we're doing now. And so looking at that helps to 
really guide you into a position where you're actually living into that true potential. And the one question that I ask is, you know, what can you be the best in the world at now? This is certainly not a unique question, but it is an important one. What could you, you be uniquely the best in the world at? that no one else can do and then start to align all of those to find your unique opportunity, that one that feels like it's a perfect match for you. And then the last is to find your inspiration. You know, what's obvious and right in front of me right now? What are these things that are showing up effortlessly? And then as I'm looking at it, what would make it even more inspiring? You know, what would make this fit even better? What right now in this moment, and then also look at the horizon and look at what's three years from now, what's 10 years from now, what do I want that to look like? You know, Yudi said something to me one time and he, it was just such an important, it was an important conversation, a point of conversation for me, which was, you know, Nicole, look at where you're going to be in 10 years. You're going to be, I'm going to be almost 50 years old, you know, and what do I want that to look like 10 years from now? And then what do I want it to look like three years from now? And then what am I willing to do to create that life? What skills do I need? What experience do I want to have? And as I started to look at that, everything just started to kind of fit into place. And it was like, oh yeah, I do have all of this marketing experience and I did have this conscious awakening and, and bringing consciousness into the marketing industry as a way that we could empower and inspire others is a huge opportunity to do good within an industry that so often has been painted as, you know, in a negative way, in a negative light, as an engine that's been used to manipulate and rather than to empower and inspire. And what if by being the change I wish to see, I could be a part of changing that. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, that's, that's so powerful and it's so needed. Um, it's, it's well past overdue. Um, so it's key. I mean, it, it, you know, essentially it's key because, you know, it's, it's, it is about creating or designing your life. Uh, and if you can't, I, I like how the, the last tip, finding your inspiration, because I think a lot of people start there at some point. They hit, you know, they hit a breaking point where they want to find their inspiration, but, you know, it's very hard to maneuver around to locate your inspiration and essentially find, you know, find the life that you want to create or, and, and apply that to the skills that you need or, or, or the experience. And yeah. so um, I, that's really key. So definitely um, I, I think that resonates with me the, the most, even though I think they all designate because knowing your truth, <laughs> if you don't know your truth, yeah. You know, well, yeah. I think so many times, you know, it's like, as we look at this and you, you look at this and say like, all right, you know, I've had this conscious awakening and I know that I have these skills. So many times the answer that we try to come up with is to hold on to what we have right now, right? Like yeah. I'm going to yeah. keep this job that I had prior to my conscious awakening and I'm going to try to fit, make it fit into <laughs> my conscious awakening. Right. And look, yeah. the reality is the, what, the choices you made from a place of unawareness are very unlikely to align with the choices you will make <laughs> from a place of awareness. It's simply that you have this new lens so nothing looks the same. And so I see this in relationships. I see it in, in jobs that we try to hold on to relationships that are long overdue. We try to hold on to jobs that are long overdue. And I just ask that as you look at your potential and you look at what feels good inside, 
don't be, you know, remember that jumping off the cliff is the only way the parachute will open. You know, Steve Harvey has an amazing talk where he talks about be willing to jump off the cliff because the parachute cannot open unless you were in free fall. And if you haven't jumped off yet, because you've been holding on to these things, and I hope maybe this will give you just that little boost of having the confidence in yourself that you've always taken care of yourself. You've always landed on your feet. And why would you not land on your feet now when you're truly following what feels good in your heart? And at the same time, that doesn't mean quit your job and not be able to afford to feed your family, right? Like it doesn't have to look that way. It can look like designing it in a way that is that honors the transition that you would like in your life and in your career as well. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. And amen, sister. (laughs) I can tell you that for sure. I I love that. I love that. Um, I know that we're, we're getting close to, to our time. So I want to make sure uh, we get a few more things in here because I know you have a few interesting things coming up. Uh, that's going to really be able to help people and get people set, you know, for the new year, as well as currently some things you have going on. So let me kind of jump into that because I want to I want to honor that because this is definitely some powerful information. So I know um, there you have a conscious marketers mastermind that's being created right now. Um, I know that there's some details you want to share about that. I want to get I want to get that in, you know, uh, I want people to be aware and know about that. And also then we can finish talking about the conscious marketing audit, because I think that's the the marketing audit also applies to today's topic. So tell the listeners a little bit about the mastermind that that you have coming up. And then let's then from there, we can transition and talk a little bit more about the uh, conscious marketing audit. Absolutely. So the Conscious Marketing Mastermind is going to be a group of 12 marketers who are going to join me as we look to set the bar in the industry for what conscious marketing looks like. The interesting thing is in when I came into the industry and I was talking about social media measurement, I had all the knowledge that I needed in order to be able to look at the data, to be able to look at the tools that we have and be able to find that synergistic approach to be able to say, here's how you measure social media tangibly in these tools with these systems. When we look at consciousness, it's, it's a bit different. I don't have all the information. There are many perspectives on what consciousness is and what that should look like in our industry. And rather than trying to define them by myself, I'm pulling together 12 marketers from a variety of different backgrounds. And we're going to look and answer questions about like, how do you handle it when you're at an agency and that company comes in with a contract and it's accepted and you're assigned to the team? How do you handle it when there is an ethical situation versus an ego-driven situation? And really, what can we do as marketers in order to truly inspire people? And in order to test that, we're actually going to take a budget of $50,000 and we're going to run a campaign in 2018 with the sole purpose of inspiring humanity to step into its true, full potential with no other call to action other than to be the greatness that you are and see what we actually come up with. And that just really excites me because as marketers, so many times we're building someone else's vision and we're building it to sell a product on the other end of it. But what if the only thing that we were doing was to inspire and to use our creativity solely for that purpose and see what happens? So I'm super excited about that. Um, It will be 12 meetings over the month. We are also doing a 
retreat in San Diego in May and we'll do a retreat in December in Jamaica. So it's just, a, it's, it's really being the change we wish to see and saying that, hey, let's come together. Let's bring the brightest marketers in the industry together and let's have this conversation as a group and see how fast we can push forward ourselves as well as humanity. Oh, <laughs> that's, that is so well needed and definitely, definitely people you got who are listening, you definitely want to check into that because I think it's, it's just going to be powerful. It's just going to help a lot of people kind of really create a new outlook for themselves and really, really understand consciousness and, and not just be aware, you know, to a certain level, but really be consciously aware and consciously committed, you know, going into 2018. But that also leads me to, to ask you about um, your the conscious marketing audit because I, I think for uh, a lot of marketers that are out there, you know, they they ask that question: how can they how can they actually really conduct a conscious marketing audit? And where does it start? Is it more of a campaign? Is it a program? You know, what do you look for? And I think you know you can talk a little bit about that because I think. It's, it's what's needed for someone to really kind of figure out wh what is the next steps for them. So you want to talk about that a little bit and kind of touch on that because I know, and then, and then let's talk about what, what that audit is and, and what you're offering as far as that's concerned. Of course. Yeah, well, as you look at this whole conversation of consciousness and this new lens that's being offered as you look at what you do for your career and in your projects that you're working on, one of the things that you can do is actually audit yourself based on, you know, your new, this new knowledge that you have, you can actually audit what you've done prior so that it influences what you do in the future. And in order to serve that, I have developed an audit that would help companies ultimately either look at a single campaign and or an entire marketing program for times when maybe they can just raise the bar of inspiration and motivation in a way that they can't see right now. Right. Uh, it also looks certainly looks all the way through any kind of ethical dilemmas, any kind of ego-driven dilemmas, but at the end of the day, it really is to look and say, what is it that you're doing right now? What would make it even better? What really works now? And then helping to just raise the standard in the company, whatever that looks like. It's very much a custom solution with custom recommendations based on actual instances and campaigns that are currently being run. So I'm really excited about because I can, I can work with people on uh, very small projects where we just look at a single campaign or we can come in and we can take a look at an entire program. And, and as we're working with this conscious marketing mastermind, this all plays in together. You know, it's looking at the theory of it with a, a bunch of practitioners who are in, in, who are in the trenches, so to speak, but also to work with companies as they're actually looking to step into a more conscious and ethical business practices, looking and saying, okay, these are the companies who are willing to invest and actually review themselves and raise their, raise their standards to a level that is beyond just the minimum level of acceptable standards that says, oh, we don't break any laws with marketing, but really we actually truly want to inspire our customer base. And so we're going to audit ourselves and actually look at how we can do better and look in the mirror. You know, companies who self-reflect are often those who are the most conscious. And so this audit is an opportunity for, con for companies to self-reflect in a way that empowers them to step more fully into their greatness as well as their customers. Hmm. Wow. And, and you know, it's, it's so, 
uh, so needed because, you know, times are changing, you know, the, the globe is shrinking and the, the millennial dynamic obviously has uh, changed the, the scope of, of the workplace. So um, I know that, you know, you have a, a few tips to raise on, on the consciousness of marketing this week uh, in terms of the audit. And I think um, you should share that because I, I think that's what is going to help some of those people who are considering the audit and, and wanting to know more information would definitely definitely be a resource for them. Sure. Um, yeah, we kind of went through this on another episode as well that, you yes. know, if you're yes. looking if you're looking to audit your systems, then you know the first thing is to decide when you're gonna audit. So conduct a regular audit. It could be once a year, it could be once a quarter, it could be once a month. It really depends on the volume of your program. The second is to create a group inside of your company that will be responsible for conducting that audit. So whether or not that is internal employees, external stakeholders, including customers, I also recommend bringing your agency in and having all of those people at the table so that you can decide what our bar of consciousness is in our marketing practice and then we hold each other up to that standard. And the last is to really just look at transforming your marketing program into one of inspiration and motivation for your end customers. The question really here is, did you inspire people today or did you disempower people through fear-based messaging, through messaging that leads to more of that hero, villain, victim dynamic and things that disempower rather than inspire? Ultimately, that's the bar we use for conscious marketing is, you know, at the end of it, the net result of it, was it positive for those who watched it or did it leave us feeling like we want Wanted, you know, we're on the heavy end of that spectrum versus the light end of the spectrum. So lighter versus heavier and measuring yourself against whether or not you delivered on that or not. You know, it's and, and the thing is, is like what I love about this is that if if someone really wants to change uh, the culture of their workplace or change the culture of communication and teams, especially now that you see a lot of transitioning towards, you know, remote teams and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think this at the essence, it is a, a great foundation to have because essentially, you know, obviously there, you know, you have bigger companies that have so many different dynamics that it really comes into the microculture of, of teams individually. Yeah. I think even if one team in, in a bigger company actually do the, the marketing audit, I think then you can really see, you know, uh, the exponential growth in terms of consciousness. Um, yeah. So it's really, it's really about going after the tolerance <laughs> of yeah. those, of those interests. And I really believe that, you know, for a long time, you know, the reason why we were unconscious is because we were a total consumption driven society. Everything was about consumption and consumerism it, it was just you know the epitome of who we are but now that it's, it, go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say it is like I, and just to give you an example like there was a team that i used to work with in a i'll say a major health insurance company it's so funny we have these non-disclosures that like you need approval to say their name but i'm totally gonna say something complimentary to them um and so like I used to work with this uh, health insurance provider and it truly was a team of conscious marketers. They very much cared about wellness and health and really inspiring people to like get in shape and, 
and they were running really successful programs and in, in doing that. And it was very interesting because as much as that was happening, there was still the whole internal politicking that would go on mm -hmm. of like teams, like fighting against each other and not working together. And this program's budget was separate from this program's budget. And that just happens in every company, just so you know, in yep. big companies, this happens. Yeah. For, for just because the companies are so big where, you know, teams are put into positions where they have to fight for budget. And I brought in the C methodology where I actually showed them how to essentially brainstorm their ideas and test them in a way that actually made decisions based on tr creating tangible results. And when that happened, this team like improved productivity and efficiency three, 400%. I mean, it was amazing how much they started working together versus against each other. And so you can, like in a small team, you can have a massive impact just with one team and then that kind of reverberated out through other teams. And I noticed that, you know, we started working with one team by the end, we were working with seven or eight teams. And it was because this team was so successful in actually creating impact for their customers. And that was shown as the example to live up to for all of the other departments. And it was actually celebrated and then funded. So all of this plays hand in hand, funding, you know, good energy in, good energy out, funding comes with good vibrations and good feelings. So if you start to use that as your guide, then hopefully everything else will flow behind it. <laughs> well, on that note, that is so awesome. And, you know, I want to thank you again, Nicole, for, opening up the, the minds and, and, the, and the ears and the eyes of people into really what consciousness is. Um, this is definitely a journey, definitely something we're going to be staying on and definitely something we're going to be still talking about. Um, this is the Conscious Marketing Podcast, but remember people, uh, before, before we go, before we check out, remember right now currently there is the Conscious Marketers Mastermind Definitely want to check out the information. And for anyone, anyone who really wants to uh, train their team for consciousness in 2018, you definitely want to take advantage of the conscious marketing audit because I really believe essentially it will help you grow not only internally but externally. And externally puts out into the world more peace and more prosperity. So this is the Conscious Marketing Podcast. This is Todd Social and Nicole Kelly, otherwise a.k.a. Nicole Kelly Rocks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next time, seek your consciousness. Thank you for joining the Conscious Marketing Podcast. We hope you found your inner superhero and have what you need to raise the bar for consciousness in the industry. If you like what you heard, please take the time to leave us a rating and review. Tell us what really works for you and what would make the show even better. Every review helps another conscious marketer find their way here. Want to have next week's episode automatically queued up for your Monday commute? Remember to subscribe before you leave. We thank you for your support. Please go to ConsciousMarketingPodcast.com for show notes, links, and other awesome resources. It is our honor to serve you. Now, let's go change the world.